0: All right, everybody, please open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 7. We're back in the book of Romans today. Romans it's not going to be too tough today. Oh, okay. The first six <laughs> verses are not too tough. Everyone's waiting for it. Yeah. Yeah, Romans chapter 7 is extremely controversial with how people interpret it. But I don't have to get to the hard part for two more sermons. Once we get to verse 14, then it gets tough. But we are going to be examining and focusing in on chapter 7, verses 1 to 6 today. And the title of the message is Dead to the Law-Married to Christ. Dead to the Law-Married to Christ. So, let's ask God's help and then we'll get right into the text. Lord, we pray for your blessing. May your Holy Spirit... Who is the teacher? Who is the comforter? May he come and be our instructor today. Open up your word, Lord. Give us understanding and give us a heart to obey. We just reach out to you by faith right now, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Romans chapter 7. We'll start reading in verse 1. Or do you not know, brethren? For I am speaking to those who know the law that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who is raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, So that we serve in newness of the spirit and not in oldness of the letter. One of the most important and precious truths in all of the Bible is that of our union to Christ. Our union to Christ is that which produces our justification and that which brings about our sanctification. It brings about both things to us. And when you look in the Bible, there's many different images that are given that show us this union that we have to Jesus. For example, the vine and the branches, Christ is the true vine, we are the branches that are connected to him so that the life that is in the vine flows into his branches, right? Or how about that where Christ is the head and we are the various members of the body, we're all connected to the head in various ways but he is the central um, thinking, intelligent source you might say that sends the signals to all of the members to do the head's bidding. But here, in Romans chapter 7, there's a different image that is given to us. And it's the image of marriage. Union to Christ is like a bride being wedded to to Christ as her husband. And in any marriage, there's various aspects of this union. Right? There is a physical aspect to a union between a man and a woman when they get married. The Bible says the two shall become one flesh. There's this physical aspect where they come together in sexual intimacy. There's also a legal aspect of union because once you are married, you can't just walk away from that without getting involved with courts and lawyers and things like that. There's also an emotional aspect to this union. These two people get tied up together emotionally with one another. And there's also a spiritual aspect of this union if both of these Hus- the husband and wife are both believers. They are one together in Christ. So there's a legal, an emotional, a physical, and a spiritual aspect to this union. Now, the Bible teaches that before we became Christians, in our old life, we were united to Adam. He was our representative. We were in Adam. And because we were united to Adam, we were also united to sin, and we were also united to the law. Those things come as a package. Adam, sin, and law. So if you're united to Adam, you're under sin and you're under law. But if you are a Christian, now Christ is the one you you are united to. And you are under grace. And you are filled now with the spirit. So there's a whole different dimension of life that comes to the believer. You have a new representative, which is Christ. You have a new master which is God, and you have a new husband, which is Jesus Christ. Now, as we've been working our way through Romans, in chapters 3, 4, and 5, Paul has labored over and over again to teach us that we are not justified by our works of the law. He told us in chapter 3, verse 20, By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Our standing with God has nothing to do with our works, Um, our religious performances or anything like that it has to do with what Christ has done his works but we could also say from Romans chapter 7 by the works of the law no flesh will be sanctified in his sight I believe Romans 7 is teaching us not only are we justified apart from works but we are sanctified not by our works but by our union to Jesus Christ that's what produces fruit for God And believers seem to swing between two extremes, either license or legalism. Chapter six deals with those believers or professing believers who were licentious, who are dealing with taking license. Now, do you know what I mean when I talk about license? It's the person who says that, well, if I'm justified apart from my works, then why don't I just go on and live any way I want? I'll just go on and keep on sinning because that'll give God's grace more of a chance to to be bestowed that's a good thing so Paul says no you can't do that because you've died to sin you can't go on living in, in sin like you used to so to attack licentiousness he gives us chapter 6 but to attack um, legalism he gives us chapter 7 because Romans chapter 7 is all about the law that's the main it's, it comes up 23 times in one chapter That's the subject of this chapter, and Paul needs to deal with that subject. Um, In Romans chapter 6, Paul teaches us that we died to sin. In Romans chapter 7, he teaches us that we died to the law. We died to both. If you are in Christ, you've died to sin, you've died to the law. That comes out in verses 4 and 6 of Romans chapter 7. Now, here's the big question that we need to think about. Why does Paul deal with the law here In chapter 7. Right after he gives us chapter 6. Is there a reason? What's going through his mind? And this is important. that You try to follow Paul's train of thought. As you read through the letter. And I'll tell you what I believe it is. It it goes back to something he said in chapter 6 verse 14. He said there. Sin shall not be master over you. Because you are not under law. But under grace. Now. <laughs> the way Paul operates is that he, he'll make a statement, and he'll know that his readers don't get it. They're, they're, they've got questions about it. They're confused by something he just said. And I'm sure that they were confused by verse 14, because they're thinking, what do you mean I'm not under law? Uh, especially if they were Jewish. They are saying, I have tried to keep the law my whole life. What do you mean, Paul, I'm not under law? Yes, I'm under law. And so Paul takes chapter 7 to tell them, How it is that they are not under law anymore. See, under law means under the jurisdiction or under the dominion of God's law. And what he's telling them is that no, you've passed out of that whole relationship to the law that you used to have. Now you are under Christ, not law. That's the the point of chapter 7. You see, our relationship to sin has changed. Chapter 6. Sin still exists, but our relationship to it is different. We used to be a slave of sin. We're not that anymore. And our relationship to God's law has also changed. God's law still exists, but we're not under it like we used to be. That's the point of 6.14. We're not under law. Instead, we are under grace. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at our old husband, the law. And then we're going to talk about our new husband, Jesus Christ. Now, what is the point of the first three verses of Romans chapter 7? Let's just read it over again. Do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living, but if her husband dies... She's released from the law concerning the husband. So then if while her husband is living, she's joined to another man, she should be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Now here's the point. The law has jurisdiction over a wife while her husband is alive. So let's say that you are the wife in a relationship. You have a husband. Um, you are not free. Let's say you don't like this husband. You're not free just to leave him and have a sexual relationship with another man. The Bible says you're an adulterer if you do that. But if your husband dies, no problem. You're absolutely free. You can be married. Paul says in chapter 1 Corinthians 7, you can now marry, but in the Lord. That's his only stipulation. But you're free to marry. So that's what he's getting across. Law has jurisdiction while the husband is alive. But as soon as the husband is dead, it has no more jurisdiction over you. You are not an adulterer any longer if you marry another man. Okay. Now here's the situation. Paul is describing to us an illustration of where we were married to the law. And try to picture this. Even if you're a man, try to pretend you're a woman this morning. (laughs) Because you're married to a male figure and the male figure is the law. And this is an arranged marriage. Because you cannot remember a time ever in your life when you were not married to Mr. Law. It was arranged for you. This is also a formal marriage. Because you don't call him honey or baby or sweetheart or... Whatever, (laughs) you call him Mr. Law. It's very formal. It's also an unhappy marriage. Not because your husband is bad or because your husband is unfaithful. Mr. Law is not a bad man. He's not a sinner. In fact, if you look at Romans 7 verse 7, it says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. Or verse 12, so then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. The law is not sinful. Mr. Law is a good, faithful man. In fact, he's got none of the filthy or disgusting habits that other men have. He's a respectable man. He's an impressive man. He's meticulously faithful to you, and he treats you exactly as you deserve. So, what's then the problem? Why is this marriage unhappy? Well, it's because he's a perfectionist. He's definite and he's precise and you're casual and easygoing. He's so picky. (laughs) Nothing you ever do will ever satisfy him or please him completely. You clean the house and you think you've done a great job and he comes in with his white glove and he wipes it across the (laughs) counter and says, but what about that? You cook him his favorite meal and everything's either too hot or too cold or too spicy or too bland or too something. There's always something wrong. No matter how small your deviation from perfection is he will expose it back to you. And more than that he treats you like an employee, not like a wife. There is no tenderness in the relationship, there's no affection, there's no love. You are an employee with him in a business relationship. And the worst thing is that every night he gets out this big black book and he writes down every mistake that you've made during the day and everything short of perfection. He writes it all down and he keeps it so that when you get into an argument with him, he opens up his book and he says, but what about that? What about this? Now, you have spent your whole life trying to earn his acceptance and his approval and his affection. But it is a hopeless case because you're never going to be able to get it. That's why it's such a miserable marriage with Mr. Law. And this marriage has also produced some children. It's produced some kids. Notice verse 5. It says, For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. It's been a very fruitful marriage. It's produced lots and lots of children. But it's, it's all fruit for death. It's the wrong kind of kids. You say, well, what are their names? Well, these kids, there's lots of them. They've got lots of different names. They have names like immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Then there's little sister, Enmities, and big brother, Strife. And then there's jealousy and anger and disputes and dissensions and factions and envying and drunkenness. And the list goes on and on. Lots and lots of wicked little children. It's been very fruitful. And you say, what what a terrible life that that would be. Well, it's not completely terrible because if it were not for Mr. Law, you would never know perfection. You might get the silly idea that you actually made it one time. But that's a silly idea because you never did. (laughs) While you're married to him, you're trapped in a loveless, joyless, hopeless relationship. And you begin to wonder, is there any hope for anything different? Well, that brings us to our second union. Because in Romans 7 verses 1 to 6, there are two marriages described. The first one is to the law. The second one is to Jesus Christ, which comes out for us in verse 4. Notice he says, Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another. You are released from the first husband, so that you can be joined to the second husband. And who is it? Well, it's the one who was raised from the dead. And the, the reason for that joining is so that you and I could bear fruit for God. In the first relationship, we bore fruit for death. We had to be uh, separated from the first husband and joined to the next one so that we can start bearing fruit for God. You see, if your focus is law, you're going to bear fruit for death. You have to be joined to Christ. And out of the fullness of that new relationship with Christ, you can begin bearing spiritual fruit for God. But that's, that's the only way it can happen. So let's think about Jesus Christ and our marriage to him. You've got a good friend named Paul, and Paul's been talking to you about this other fellow named Jesus. You're in this horrible marriage. You don't know how you can ever get out of it, but you're miserable. But he says, you know, there's this other guy over there that I know, and I know you'd really like them. Uh, He is so loving, and he is so generous, and he's so considerate, and he's so helpful. Uh, He's so polite. He's just amazing. And you start to think about that guy and you think, boy, what would it be like if I was married to him instead of Mr. Law? But you can't let yourself think like that because that's adultery. He's still alive and you're still alive. You can't think like that. But at the same time, you can't get him out of your mind at the same time. And you think, well, what options do I have? Well, I'll just marry him too. I'll have two husbands. Oh, no, that's polygamy. And the law condemns that. I can't, can't marry two men. Well, how about if I just divorce Mr. Law and marry Jesus Christ? You can't do that either. Because you are alive and Mr. Law is alive. Only death can make it possible for you to be released from that first union. Or if Mr. Law was unfaithful, you could be released from that union. But the problem is he's never going to be unfaithful. And he's never going to die because the Bible says until heaven and earth pass away not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished the law is not going away he's not dying and he's never going to be unfaithful so you are kind of stuck so my goodness what what is even possible now if he died you could marry somebody else because you took a vow till death do us part but There is the possibility of death. Or the preacher said, as long as they both shall live. So, is there any possibility that he would die? No. But there is one other solution that Paul brings up that could solve the problem. And that is in verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law. It's not that the law is going to die. It won't. But you died when you were joined to Jesus Christ. (laughs) Do you see? If the law can't die, maybe I can. And you say, well, what are you suggesting, Brian? Are you suggesting suicide? No. I'm suggesting Mm co-crucifixion. That's how you die. And that's how you end up in a new relationship with Christ. And separated now from the jurisdiction of the law over you. That's what he says in verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ. He said something similar back in chapter 6, verse 7. Excuse me, verse 6. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. So, if you have been united to Christ, you were united with Christ when he was dying on that cross. And then chapter 7 verse 4 says, We were made to die to the law through the body of Christ. So when Jesus' body is hanging on that cross, you were in him so that not only did you die to sin, chapter 6, you died to the law, chapter 7. You exited the realm where the law has jurisdiction over you. Now think about this. What was Jesus' relationship to the law while he was living on this earth? Think about Galatians 4.4. When the fullness of time came, Jesus was born of a woman, born, what does it say? Under the law. law. Jesus was under the law while he was living on this earth. That's why he had to fulfill it. He had to keep it. He had to obey it perfectly in every detail for 33 years before he died. But when Jesus died and rose again, now what is his relationship to the law that he was under? I submit to you that he's no longer under it. He's got a new relationship. Now he's alive to God. And if you're in Christ, the same thing has happened to you. You died with him to the law, and you were joined to him, and you now are alive to God. Let me see if I can put it more simply. Let's say that you go on a vacation to Germany. And while you're in your vacation home over there in Germany, all of a sudden, the head of state declares war on Japan. And so the military police begin going around knocking on doors and telling people, if you're an able-bodied man, you have just been drafted and you need to report within 24 hours to such and such military base. And they come to your vacation house and knock on the door and they say, you need to report to that base within 24 hours you say well well, sir um, I'm an American citizen I'm not a German I'm over here on vacation the German government has no jurisdiction over me because I'm I'm a citizen of another country and we too as Christians are citizens of a heavenly country we're no longer under the jurisdiction of this world system we're under a new system where Christ is King So this old system cannot exercise jurisdiction over the Christian because he doesn't belong to that old system anymore. He has come out. He's been called out of that one and put down into a whole new kingdom. Now, let's think about how Jesus, how being married to Jesus compares with being married to Mr. Law. Really, there's no comparison. It's like night and day, the difference. Mr. Law is always demanding... And Jesus is so given. Mr. Law could never approve of you, but Christ accepts you completely. Mr. Law treated you as a slave. Christ treats you as his beloved bride. Mr. Law came in with a white glove. Jesus comes in with a mop and a bucket to help you. Mr. Law demanded that you be like him, and Jesus makes you like him. So there's a world of difference in these two marriages that we're describing. Now, there's also kids that are born out of this second marriage, too. Notice that in verse 4 at the end, it says that when we're joined to this one who's been raised from the dead, we bear fruit for God. So there's kids that are the product of this other marriage, too. And their names are ones that we recognize, like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control this is the fruit for God that is produced from this new union with Jesus Christ and remember that big black book that Mr. Law would take down every night first thing Jesus does when you marry him is he takes that down and he burns it and it's gone it's forgotten and you are forgiven and there is nothing against you ever again now, how does all of this, how does our marriage to Christ change things in the believer's life? Well, I'm going to mention three things to you. Number one, we've got a new desire. When you marry Christ, there is a new desire. Amen. Verse six says, But now we have been released from the law. I'm, <laughs> stop and just think about that sentence. Amen. But now we have been released released it had its grip on us we were in a covenant with it covenant of marriage with it but we've been released verse 4 we died to the law we were released from the law but let's keep going having died to that by which we were bound so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not in oldness of the letter Now, notice we still serve when you become a christian it doesn't mean that you stop serving you still serve but the christian doesn't serve out of this sinful selfish lazy spirit everything has changed we served under the law and we still serve under christ but notice verse 6 says we do not serve we do serve in newness of the spirit not in oldness of the letter that describes how we used to serve this letter This external code that was imposed on us from without that we had to meet. The oldness of the letter of the law. So as a Christian you do not serve God that way anymore. Instead he says you serve in newness of the spirit. Imagine when you were a kid at home and your dad gave you the chore of washing the family car and you hated that chore. But you had to do it because he was your dad and he made you. So you went out there and you squirted it with water. You took a towel and you swiped it a few times and you called it good and said, Hey dad, I'm all done. But you just did a bad job every time. A Few years later, you have a girlfriend and you want to impress her. And dad says, you can take the family car. So now you go out and wash the car and you spend two hours washing that car and you're washing the rims, you're getting the hubcaps, You know, you're getting your armor all out. You're waxing the car. You're taking your shop vac and you're vacuuming up everything. You're doing exactly the same thing, but with a whole new desire, right? Before you had no desire for the work. Now you have a desire because you want to impress this girlfriend. When you become a Christian, you still serve, but you serve with a whole new desire because you love Christ and you want to please him. In fact... Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 26 says, I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit within you and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. See, new desires rise up in a new heart that God gives at regeneration when you're born of the spirit. So, when we're born again, we start serving the Lord, not because this external law is imposed on us from without, but because of this inner desire that comes within our heart as the Spirit of God works within us. The newness of the Spirit, not the oldness of the letter. And that should always be our attitude. When you serve God, is it, I have to? Or is it, I get to? It should be, I get to, because the Spirit of God works in us to want to please our Lord. Uh, Sometimes I think, you know, I'm so thankful for being part of our church. So thankful for that, because I get to be really involved on the front lines of ministry. If I was stuck in a mega church of 10,000 people just attending services, I think I'd be miserable. Because life was more than just going to meetings. Life is about serving Christ. And folks, you get that opportunity. We all have that opportunity of, of serving a newness of the spirit, not an oldness of the letter. We get to make disciples. We get to serve God. We get to serve one another. So if you find yourself saying, well, I have to do this or I have to do that, start changing your mindset. I get to do this because God calls me to it and he's worthy of any devotion I give him. So we have a new desire that God gives to us. Uh, We also have a new power. Under the law, the only power we had was our own flesh. Look at verse 5. It says, for while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. Now that phrase... While we were in the flesh, that's another way of saying while we were not saved. Mm. While we were unconverted. While we were united to Adam. While we were under Satan's dominion. While we were slaves of sin. That's what it means to be in the flesh. When we get to chapter 8, you're going to say, Paul's going to tell us, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if the spirit of God dwells in you. Now folks, how many of you have the spirit of God dwelling in you? If you do, you're not in the flesh. According to Paul, you're in the spirit. So to be in the flesh means you're not saved. And while you were in the flesh, the only power you had was your flesh to try to please God or try to obey his law. There's a story about the village idiot in Nevada who rode a stick horse to town. And when he got there, someone asked him, well, how'd you like the ride? He said, well, it was all right, but I'm just about as tired as if I had walked. (laughs) And of course that's because he did walk. (laughs) Right? And the only power we have under the law is our own power. It's stick horse power. It's like the difference between riding a bicycle and riding a motorcycle. If you ride a bicycle, it's going to take your energy to get from point A to point B. Now, if you ride a motorcycle, you're still going to get from point A to point B, but there's a whole new source of power on the motorcycle that you can rest in and rely on than there is when you're riding a bike. You've got to get yourself there by your own effort with the bike. That motorcycle takes you places where you just lean back and cruise and turn the throttle and go. A whole new source of power. And you can now rest instead of work. That's what it's like to go from being in the flesh where you're working to try to keep the law to being in the spirit where you have this desire on the inside and a new power source, the Holy Spirit, to enable you now to do the things God wants you to do. Notice verse 4. It says, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who is raised from the dead. So Christianity is you being joined to the resurrected Christ. Now, Jesus being raised from the dead has all power in heaven and on earth. And so we as believers now are able to draw, not on our flesh as the source of power, But on Jesus' power, because he lives in us. He's for us. So there's a new power source. Now I wonder, do we realize the resources that we have in Christ? And do we draw on those resources? And I think a lot of times we just don't. But we need to. We need to remember who we are in Christ. The resources God has made available to us in his Son. Um, It reminds me of what Peter teaches us in 1 Peter 4. He says in verse 11, Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. And here's the next phrase, which is really important. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. If we serve in the strength that God supplies to us, then God gets the glory. If we serve in our own strength, we have something to boast about. And God doesn't get the glory. So the Lord is wanting to teach us to learn to serve in the strength which he supplies. The power of the indwelling spirit. Consciously depending on God to enable us to do what he's calling us to do. See, back in Romans 7, it talks about bearing fruit for God. Well, fruit is the product of life. I guess there's two ways to get an apple on a tree. You can get um, a pretend artificial apple, like at Christmas time, you can hang it on the tree, (laughs) right? Or you can have a real apple that's, comes forth from the life that's in the tree. A non-Christian trying to obey God's law is like taping fake apples and hanging them on the tree. God doesn't want you to produce apples that way. He wants it to be the product of his life in you. The strength which God is supplying through you as you abide in Christ, as you relate to him. See, Christ is the key to this. <laughs> law is not the key. Christ and your relationship and your abiding relationship with Jesus is the key to the Christian life. That means that you can't be dependent upon your pastor or your mom or dad or your your friends to somehow get you in. You Each one of you have to have your own abiding relationship with Christ, which means a life of prayer, a life of the word where you're hearing from him. You need to have your own connection to God. So important. You know, it's not enough to come here on Sunday and bring your Bible. That, that's like supplemental. You need to have your own relationship where you are talking with God. He's talking to you. You're receiving joy from Him. You're receiving strength to do the things He wants you to do. And without that, we have nothing. We have nothing. Now, we have a new desire, a new power, but we also have a new love. How do we feel about this new husband that we're married to? Well, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1 and verse 8: And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. You see, God wants a loving relationship with us, not a legal relationship. Do you know the difference between a legal relationship and a loving relationship? A loving relationship is where you just come to him because because you love him. And you know he loves you. And so anything you do to serve the Lord comes out of that that dynamic of love. A legal relationship is, okay, here's this list of do's and don'ts that I'm going to try to keep, but my heart's really not in it. But I'll do it anyway, you know, and you try to work yourself up. That's a legal relationship. God wants a loving relationship with us. Beware of a Christian life that's obsessed with checking off a list of do's and don'ts. And we can slip into this. You know, we've got our list, devotions in the morning. And so we we do it, but we do it so that we can say I did it. (laughs) Rather than connecting with the living God and hearing him. There's a world of difference between those two things. And we can subtly find ourselves in this legal ease over here, focusing on this list rather than focusing on Christ, who is our life. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1 says therefore if you have been raised up with Christ keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God set your mind on the things above not on the things that are on earth for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God set your mind on Christ the things above let Christ be your if you have to have an obsession with something let it be Jesus and your relationship with him Try to imagine two young women who are each hopelessly in debt. They're in debt up to their eyeballs, $100,000 each. And they have both got their own plan of how they're gonna get out of debt. The first young woman says, okay, I know what I'll do. I'm gonna get a job and I'm gonna work. And I'm gonna work really hard. And over a period of time, I'll be able to pay off this debt. So she gets a job, she starts to make payments and she realizes it's not enough. So she gets a second job and a third job and all she ever does is work but instead of being able to pay off her debt she finds herself going even more and more in debt because her cost her standard of living is at such a point that even with all this work she's not even able to make her bills and that's like the the sinner who decides they're going to work their way to heaven but they discover that even their best works are like sinful rags in the sight of god and so rather than getting out of debt they're even more in debt the longer they work But then there's this other woman who's $100,000 in debt too. And she comes up with a whole different plan. She says, no, I'm not going to go to work. I'm going to marry myself a millionaire. (laughs) (laughs) Now, does she solve her problem? Yep. Yep, she does. Because through her marriage, his riches are put to her account. She gets out of debt not because of her work, but her husband's merit. And you say, Pastor Brian, <laughs> the hard part's not deciding to marry a millionaire, it's finding the millionaire who's willing to marry me, right? <laughs> and I've got good news for you. I've got gospel for you. There is one who is infinitely rich in the very thing that you're bankrupt in righteousness. And he's willing to marry the likes of you and me. He's willing to have us. He stretches out his hands to sinners and he says, Come. Come to me that you might have life. We are hopelessly in debt, up to our eyeballs, because of our sin. And Jesus Christ is the only hope you and I have of ever getting out of debt. If we don't get out of debt in this life, we are going to be paying on that debt for the next life forever in hell. And we will never settle the debt. You need to settle the debt now, before you die, during your lifetime. And so, my word for any of you here that are not yet believers in Jesus Christ, you don't have that relationship, that saving, loving relationship with Christ, marry Him, because He's offering Himself to you this morning. And all you have to say is, I do, I will. I will have you, Lord, as my husband, as my life, as my all. And you will find that His riches will satisfy for all of your demerit. Amen. If if you're not yet a believer in Jesus Christ, turn to Him right now in your heart and put your faith in Him. Trust Him. Believe in Him. Surrender yourself to His rule and say, Lord, I will follow. Let's pray. Lord, want to th- thank You this morning for delivering us from the law which we could never satisfy, which we could never... Find approval or acceptance from and placing us in that beautiful covenant relationship with Jesus who satisfies all things for us. Thank you, Lord. We do ask, Lord Jesus, that your life would be sufficient, would empower us to do those things that are pleasing in your sight. Lord, help us to draw upon your resources. Not the energy of our own flesh, but the power of your indwelling spirit. And I pray for each member of the bridge, Lord, that you would lead them into a personal, deep, abiding, loving relationship with Christ that is not based on church attendance, but is based on their own time that they spend with you. Lord, reveal yourself to them and help them come to know you in a deeper way. In this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.